Thank you so much, Scott. And he'll be sharing at Christmas Music Night, along with lots of others, next Sunday evening. Don't miss out on that. I'm in a great uh, stage of life. I told my kids that. I have four children right in a, born right in a row. And a number of years ago at uh, lunch, I was probably at the time 52 or so, 53, 54. And I said, this is my favorite time of life. And my kids looked at me and they were incredulous. They said, are you kidding? You can hardly get out of bed without your joints cracking and, and you pull your hamstring and you can't remember anything. I mean, they were really coming down on me. Dad, you're almost dead. What are you talking about? This is your favorite time of life. Wake up and smell the coffee. Oh, no, you can't smell anything anymore either. You're so old. And the point I was making was I was an empty nester. <laughs> you could see me, if I didn't have a mask on, you'd see me smiling right now. And then, of course, caring for my late wife slowed things down for a number of years. But now I'm in the go-go phase, Kathy and I are. You all know about the go-go phase, right? Mel and Fred are in the go-go phase. And a number of you are in the go-go phase. And for the first time in life, I've actually have a little bit of money that various things that you've always wanted to do on your bucket list, you can do and go and do it. And then after the go-go is the slow-go phase where you can do things, but you just as soon <laughs> get up and, uh, and uh, read the paper and uh, porters, are you all in the slow-go phase? You can go. It's just too much of a hassle. And then after that's the no-go phase. Kathy's parents are approaching that as they approach uh, 90 and, uh, and all. Well, travel is a subject where there's not very much indifference. Everyone has a feeling and opinion about that. Most folks either really enjoy traveling, mountain vacations, ocean cruises, adventures around the world, but some folks find travel to be an expensive hassle. Sometimes there's not any choice when it comes to travel. Other times we choose, such as leaving home this morning and traveling here to be together. I want to share an important subject for believers and unbelievers. Because there are future travel plans for everyone. And I want to ask the question, are you ready for your upcoming trip? You have an upcoming trip, by the way. It's on the calendar. It's on the schedule. The itinerary has been laid out for you. And it's right around the corner. And from Hebrews chapter 9, as we're preaching through the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, I thought I would finish that last Sunday but did not wasn't able to get through all of that 
If you turn to just those two verses, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, I want us to be taught or reminded of the importance of how we live now because tomorrow is not guaranteed. You know, next Sunday, some of you were around for this. Some of you might remember, just a handful of you do, but 1985 on December 20th, that's next Sunday, it'll be the 35th anniversary, if you want to use that term, Fred Melody, remember it, the 35th anniversary of the instantaneous homegoing of my dad, brother, and sister, all killed instantly by a drunk driver, 7, 7.30 a.m., bright sunny morning it was a friday that that year and traveling on holmes road in south kansas city and a car hit him going about 110 miles an hour and just disintegrated their car and so we're going on a trip it is certain all of us are and it very well could be right around the corner As children of God, I want us to be reminded of the importance of living for him now. And I want us to also be reminded of the dreadful future for the lost. The horrific travel destination for those who don't know and love and follow the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 27. Coming just off of speaking about the sacrifice of Christ in verse 24, that he had entered into the holiest as the, our representative. Verse 25, his offering was unlike that of any mere mortal high priest who made annual sacrifices. And then in verse 26, that he did it once for all. It paid in full the penalty for the sins of those who believe. Verse 27 and 28, wrap it up for us. It says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, after that, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. In other words, he's not doing it to come to pay for sin. Unto salvation, those who look for him will be delivered one day from this world the book of hebrews focuses on the superiority of christ he is superior to the law of moses to angels to any of the patriarchs of old he's above and beyond and better than anyone or anything but this text tells us that he also died a physical death that he died And in verse 27, you have an appointment with death. And I do as well. And you think, maybe you're thinking, oh my. Came to church during the Christmas season and I've encountered a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Actually, these verses are loaded with hope. Because even though there is an appointment with death, God has an answer for that amen and he has victory over that that he's provided so there is infinite hope in this text verse 27 says we will all stand die and stand before god some 
will stand before him as his sheep and he their shepherd. So many others will stand before him as a guilty criminal and he their judge. Let's look at some specifics about that. First of all, the text suggests and intimates that we're all going on a trip. This earthly existence is not our permanent home. Everyone is just passing through. Maybe you're passing through for a handful of years, maybe for a century. But be sure you're just passing through because death is not a respecter of any person, regardless of age, regardless of uh, education, socioeconomic level, geographical location. It doesn't matter. You are just passing through. And like Abraham, for the child of God, the believer views it this way. Uh, as Hebrews 11.10 says, that he, Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Folks, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. Amen. Can I get a witness? You're just passing through if Christ is ruling and reigning in your heart. Not so for the unbeliever. Oh, the unbeliever is passing through, but he is passing through and out of this world into a horrific eternity. For Psalm 11 and verse 6 tells us that the plight of the wicked, it says, upon the wicked. You say, well, I'm not wicked. Are you still in your sin? Have you been forgiven? Well, I don't know that I've been forgiven. Scripture puts those who are unbelievers, those who have not been forgiven, in that category. In, uh, it says, upon the wicked, he shall rain snares and fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. That's what the unbeliever is going to drink and will drink for all eternity, the judgment of God. And so, to be sure, we're going on a trip. First of all, about this, we need to understand for ourselves as well as for those around us. Our departure through death is certain. That's because physical death is the consequence of sin. And sin has blanketed this earth. Since Adam and Eve, all people have sinned save the Lord Jesus, God himself in the flesh. And God told Adam that because of sin, physical death is inevitable. And I have officiated at uh, over 450 funerals just in 35 years of ministries that's a uh, that's a, a lot um, and at the graveside of most of these funerals I will quote or I'll allude to Genesis 3:19, where the Lord told Adam that in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return into the ground for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and into dust shalt thou return. It's dust to dust. That's where that comes from, from that very verse. And so I tell folks at a, at a graveside, having conducted the funeral, folks, we are participating in the fulfillment of what the word of God says. Scripture says, dust man was created, and unto dust he's going to return. He's just going to return to the basic elements of the earth. Your departure through death is certain of course, save the Lord returning first. Luke 16 details the death of two men. One was a beggar and the other a rich man. And in Luke 16, 22, the phrase is written. It says, 
And it came to pass that they both died. Folks, it's coming to pass. It is coming to pass. Your death is scheduled. Your death is certain. It's coming to pass. Secondly, relative to going on a trip, our destination, once dead, is sealed. That destination is sealed. But it doesn't end my existence. It simply opens the door which ushers one into eternity. For everyone will spend eternity somewhere. When you close your eyes in physical death, a future, a future appearance before God awaits you. We have an appointment and we're not going to miss that appointment. That schedule is sealed. And so where will that be for you? Well, for the one whose heart is truly captured by Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body, that is to die, to leave this physical existence, is to be present with the Lord. I have been at the bedside of a number of folks who literally, I was there when that person took his or her last breath. And I mean, it is, it is a surreal moment. It is, uh, it is like, a, uh, can anybody, anybody ever experience that as well? A few of you have. Where literally you were there the very instant a person's spirit left the body. It is, it is a remarkable moment, frankly. And to know that that child of God is instantaneously in the presence of the Lord upon closing the eyes in death. That is a profoundly comforting and surreal thought um, that that person has now entered into eternity. But for the unbeliever, the destination is an eternity separated from God. You see, Jesus taught in John 3, 36, two destinations for two different types of people. He that believes on the Son hath everlasting life. How long is everlasting? It's a long time, amen? Can I get a witness? It's infinite. It's eternal. It's forever. Those who believe have that. But he that believes not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so a judgment awaits us all. For the believer, it's not a judgment for the penalty of sin. Christ has already paid that. It's a judgment based on rewards for your faithfulness or fruitfulness. So, child of God, it makes a difference how you live, what you say, where you go. In this day and hour, it matters. My life matters. And he calls me to serve him, to serve him faithfully, and to serve him with all the vigor of my soul, all my days, for it matters. Because I'll be rewarded or I'll lose rewards based upon my faithfulness and my fruitfulness. My life matters. Theologian Leon Morris wrote, there is a finality about it, about death, that's not to be disputed. But if it is the complete and final end to life on earth... It is not, as so many in the ancient world thought, the complete and final end. 
In other words, just because life on earth ends, just because you're not breathing, the brainwave activity is stopped, does not mean your existence has ended. No. Death is more serious than that because it is followed by judgment. Men are accountable. And after death, they will render account to God. You see, I'll preach hellfire and brimstone because it matters. There isn't any... It's infinitely important that you know where you are headed because death is on the calendar. Your death is on the calendar. And you will not escape it. And maybe what is most horrific about this for the lost person and most glorious for the saved you see i'm i'm just dealing with verse 27 here i'm not i'm not saying anything that's not true to scripture we have an appointment with death and then the judgment maybe what is most glorious for the believer and most horrific for the unbeliever is the duration of death it's ceaseless it's unending the biblical scenes of heaven are indescribably glorious i'm going to focus on that this evening make sure you're back this evening uh, 6 p.m in fact i told kathy today or yesterday that i am altogether inadequate to present the text from the book of revelation this evening at 6 p.m that is in myself and and the only hope that we can capture the truths that are in that text is god you must do something this evening in this text it is glorious beyond man's comprehension and we will experience that ceaselessly those of us who are in christ in an unending way for all eternity to god be the glory the infinite opposite of that is the case for those who neglect oh i'll i'll think about it later yeah, when I get older, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll make following Christ a, a, a priority or I'll be serious about it then for those who neglect, for those who reject the clear claims of Scripture. The scenes of hell are, are so horrible in that the lost consciously exist in anguish forever. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, The lost shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Or you could say, and it would be equal theologically, the lost will forever be judged with no hint of mercy in that day. Oh my. Revelation 21 and verse 8 says that these shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Have you ever known incredible bliss in this life? Maybe it was the birth of your child or grandchild. Maybe it was at, when you were proposed to for marriage or, or you got uh, married or Maybe something that would rise to the level uh, of such a blissful moment. Folks, heaven will be infinitely, it almost seems to understate it, greater 
and grander than that. For there's absolute hope in death for the follower of Christ, to God be the glory, will be forever in his presence. But in contrast to that moment of blissfulness, have you ever had a moment of agony? How about this? How about take that cigarette lighter and, and flash it, or that lighter for your fireplace, and just hold your hand over that open flame for five seconds? Just do that for five seconds. Oh, to be sure, I'm not prescribing that. I'm not recommending it. But you see the imagery. You would vow for the rest of your life never to put yourself in that situation again. The anguish, the pain, the damage that would be done with five mere seconds with just one portion of your self exposed to the flame is more than you ever want to tolerate or experience again. Eternity will be infinitely worse for it will be ceaseless, unending. And so folks, we're going on a trip. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment and so what's the recommendation what's the counsel the counsel is is that all of us should get ready to go if you know you're going on a trip you have to get ready to go i've been married a collective 40 years and had three daughters in a row i've waited in the, part, in the driveway for years of my life. <laughs> years of my life have been spent waiting in the driveway. Just waiting. And you know that I'm a calm and patient person. And I will wait. And I will wait. And wait. Worn out many horns. <laughs> Why? Because they weren't ready to go. I'm ready. Got my clothes on, my hair combed. I'm ready. Even though we can't know when our travel plans will commence, we need to be ready for them to commence at any moment. Because the fact of the matter is, we don't know when that will start. Therefore, the importance of proper packing cannot be overstated. I pack light when traveling. Sometimes it costs me. It'd be embarrassing to dress inappropriately for a special occasion. You go to a picnic, you're dressed in a tuxedo because you didn't pack properly. And yet that pales into insignificancy compared to not having been properly prepared and packed for eternity. You say, preacher, when it comes to dying, it doesn't matter what, how I'm dressed. Well, not physically it doesn't, because you can't take anything with you anyway. But spiritually, how you're dressed is of eternal significance. In fact, Philippians 3.9 
says that we're to be found in him, not having our own righteousness. It's not that I'm clothed in my goodness, the merits of my uh, acceptance before God, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God by faith. And so in order to be properly prepared to be spend an eternity in his presence, because I'm going to face him, I need to be, I must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. While, while traveling into eternity, the only hope for a safe trip is to be clothed in him. How is that? It's recognizing who Christ is, what he did, the God-man who came lived a perfect life, though tempted to sin. He never did. And he went to the cross so that whoever would look and believe and say, yes, Lord, apply the merits of your life and your sacrifice to my sinful account because only you can pay the debt. And I accept you. I receive you. Come into my life. Be my Lord. I want to follow you all my days and usher me into eternity, into your presence one day. For those who will be clothed in that outfit, in that garment, stand before the Lord clean. Who are those folks? Notice in verse 28, and I alluded to this, teased you with it last Sunday. Look at verse 28. It says, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. That is, he didn't sin. He bore the sins of others. Now, who is are many? Well, you don't see it in your translation, probably. I doubt that you do. How many have a translation in verse 28 that says, the many? There's a definite article. Anybody have a translation? I couldn't find any. The many? Translators do the best they can. And they don't recognize that theologically that matters. That the definite article is included in front of many. So it says in your Greek New Testament that Christ was once offered to bear the sins of the many. There's a particular group for whom he died and who have received the merits of his offering who have been clothed in his righteousness. And who is that particular group? The many. A particular set of people. And that is defined to a much greater degree in Romans 5.19. If you'd look at Romans 5.19. Romans 5 and verse 19. Where it says... For as by one man's disobedience, who was that one man's disobedience? Adam. The many. Again, there's a definite article. Who are the many in Romans 5.19? The many are those who are found in Adam. Who all was born as a child of Adam? All of us. All of us were Adamic. All of us were in Adam. Except for Christ, for he was of the the seed of a virgin. He didn't have the nature of Adam. We, me, we have the nature of Adam. So, verse 19 in Romans 5 says, For by 
Adam's disobedience, the many, that is, those who are in Adam, were made sinners. So, here's the contrast. By the obedience of one, who was that? Jesus, who obeyed the law perfectly, who was sinless, who was perfect, only him, shall, not maybe, not I hope so, absolutely, the many are made righteous. Who are the many? Those who have believed. Those that he carved out in eternity past and said, I am predetermining to set my love upon them and they will come to me and I'll receive them as a father. The many. That is the very same grammar and theology that's found in Hebrews 9 and verse 28. That he'll return one day, not, be, not to deal with sin, but to deliver the many unto himself for all eternity. It's talking about travel plans. It's talking about going on a trip. And the many, those he has chosen, will in fact be properly packed. You say, preacher, I want to go on that trip. I don't know if I'm part of the many. Ah, not your problem, Mon. To quote our Jamaican friends, not your problem, Mon. God has never called you to figure out if you're chosen. He's never called you to do that. He's only called each and every person and commands all men everywhere to repent. To turn from your own way and to receive him. And if that is your heart's desire this morning, that you desire eternal life and escape eternal damnation and to be forgiven and to be a child of God, all you need be and all you need do is a repentant one and say, Lord, I am forsaking my old way. I am turning from my old man. And by your grace and for your glory, I desire you to come into my life, to fill my heart, to save me, to make me a child of God. And Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, say it with me, shall be saved. And so, are you one of the many who has said or who is saying now, Lord, save me. I want eternity. I know I'm going on a trip. And I so want to be in your presence and not not judged by you for all eternity. And then finally, all should be ready to go. And there's the need not only to pack properly, but to be continually prepared as if you will be called upon Right now. How many quarterbacks in the NFL know K-N-O-W? That he, they, will be injured, terribly injured, out for the season before that play happens? They don't know. And so the backup quarterback... He's, he's packed. 
all season long. He's got his bags ready. He's got his ticket purchased. But he must be ready before each play because the game is riding on it and the whole season depends on it and the Super Bowl depends on it. Are you ready to go in right now? Our quarterback is near dead on the field. You've got to go. And so there must be the continual preparation. When it comes to heaven, you can't take it with you, but you can send treasures on ahead. Jesus said as much in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. That's not where your life is, not if you're in him, not if you know him. Where moth and and rust corrupts, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Prepare now and walk and abide in a continual state of preparedness. So that if the Lord calls his church away in a moment, as he will one day, or if you go to be in his presence... Before that takes place, you will have been walking in a prepared way. Be ready to go in a moment. Peter said that, the apostle, in 2 Peter 1.14. He says, knowing that, this is something we need to know, something we need to really own shortly, imminently. Maybe it's today, maybe it's next week, maybe it's a decade from now. I'm going to put off this tabernacle. This body is going to go back to the ground. Even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Folks, I am showing you right now on the authority of Scripture, not on what I'm saying. I've given you enough verses that you're accountable and I'm accountable for everyone. So you have plenty of information that you're going on a trip and there are two destinations. And one is the destination of the way of holiness. Because you've been created in the image of Christ. You're clothed in his righteousness. And you are walking in a state of being prepared moment by moment. Here I go. And there's the destination of entering into eternity, bearing your own sin. And the wages of sin is death and judgment. And it is horrific. It's coming to pass soon. If the Lord tarries, you'll die soon. Soon is relative. We could almost always say, oh, he died too soon. She died too young. And we all know of folks like that. Susie Earl was taken in a moment. Two months ago, roughly, one to two months ago, no notice. When she kissed him goodbye that day to go to work, they weren't thinking, okay, the journey starts today. That's the point. I had had four years of preparation. 
She wasn't ready for that. I, I tell you, I was not ready. Say, preacher, how could you not be ready? It was as obvious as the day is long. You walk in those shoes and you'll see how you're not ready. And the death of a child and of a grandchild and of a spouse or of a neighbor or of whoever it might be. It always seems like I have one more day. I have just a little while longer. No, it is appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. Are you prepared for your trip into eternity? Lord, what a...